This is the Content Recruiter Podcast. Hey recruiters, it's Nathan. I think there's one massive moment in my career that helped me to adopt new tactics to get out of a cold, outbound and reactive recruitment state. And that was the ability to step back and observe what was happening, mainly in B2C markets from some of the leading marketers out there. And so for like three or six months, I just looked at what they were doing, observed how they were using platforms, um, and looked at how people were discovering products, um, and then related that back to discovering career opportunities. And it's changed my whole approach on how recruitment should happen with really, really good success. And so we thought we'd dedicate this episode to exactly that. We think recruitment teams should take that approach of just stepping back occasionally, sharing ideas, having some whiteboard sessions, and maybe kicking off with this one question. If you were unable to source talent tomorrow, what channels, tactics, and platforms would you use to get the attention of the people that you need to hire? We are into episode seven of the Content Recruiter. I am Nathan. Nate, how are you? Hey, buddy. It's good to see you. Okay. It's good to see you. We are, um, you know, what's funny about this show is this is kind of a a hypotheticals episode. And I know a lot of the stuff that we talk about on this show is, is built around recruiters actually having the bravery to go and test stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And you and I have tested a lot and we've probably made a lot of mistakes as well. But I thought, and you thought it would be quite cool to dedicate a show to purely new hypothetical, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Mm, ideas or models. Ideas. Or... There you go. There you go. Oh, purely ideas. new hypothetical oh, is that what you're... ideas. That's a complex okay. word. Five letters. Who knew? <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. So, so here's what I was thinking. Here's what made me think of this. Um, we, you and I talk quite a bit, uh, that, you know, offline or when it's not being recorded. And, uh, and a lot of that time that we spend together is us just like sharing our crazy ideas with each other. It's like, you know, we'll have like, Oh, I had this, what do you think about this new way to do this? You know? And I thought, well, in, in, in all of those things, there's, there are some common themes and there are maybe like the entire idea doesn't make sense, but there's definitely components of it that do. And um, I, I do, I, I, I always feel that the best conversations and the things that we should be pushing forward in general are in, like ways to inspire people to think differently about the, about the things that they're doing. And so that's why I wanted to, us just to kind of like have one of those conversations we'll we'll record it and like hopefully it gets people thinking a little bit outside the box yeah because we we like every so every episode we've done so far the whole point of creating the content recruiter was was genuinely about about that wasn't it it was like coming up with new ideas how do you get your message in front of the people you want to hire creatively yep and so we get a lot of these and some of them are really bad aren't they some of the ideas that we that we talk about objectively speaking, if you were to step back, if someone came to us and said, 
hey, listen to this idea. And it was basically the same idea that we'd spun out five minutes before. We'd think we were crazy. Yeah, so we poke holes some in of the day. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so some of them are really bad. Um, but like you say, there are some nuggets in there. So why don't we kick off? Idea number one. What's on your head? <clears throat> okay. So I think uh, I th it's this idea of internal creator programs. So I think that the move that smart companies will identify people with, with niche followings, acquire them. And I do look at it like, like an acquisition because somebody who already has a, a personal brand or a following, whether they're speaking to the automotive industry or plumbers, or I don't care whatever it is, like what, whatever that, that, that niche like target market is, their following is extremely valuable. And it's like, it's at the level of acquiring almost like a business or something. So I think that really smart companies will identify the thought leaders that are, that are in their industry acquire them and bring them in-house under a company umbrella and bring them in under a function that is designed for internal creators. So provide them with like creative resources and marketing budget and all the things that they would need to continue doing the things that they're doing as an independent, but maybe even at, a, at like a better, more scalable level. And also provide them with like this combination of like the security of being under a company umbrella, but the freedom and the autonomy that you would have as an independent. That's smart. So, you know, we, we spend like all of our lives talking about recruitment. Yes. Stepping out of that bubble for a second. That would be such a good idea for like for recruitment, but also just for business development to place oh, a subject sure. expert in front of your ideal customers. And we look at like, so we've seen this actually happen. Uh, so this happened, um, so Dave Gerhardt, right? Dave Gerhardt, who's, who's a really well-known CMO. He started at Drift, built up a big personal brand while being in-house at Drift, um, grew that, has grown that personal brand into like a really successful side business, left Drift, went to go work for a company called Privy as their, as their CMO. And then now is back into Drift as like their, I think he's, his new title is like head of brand or something. Um, so that's happened there. We also, I, I also think that what um, Hirewell did with, um, you know, it's kind of funny because like we know them so well, like we, mm. but, but at the same time, like, you, you know, even if we didn't, I think they're a good example. What Hirewell did with, uh, with Joel uh, Laugie, yeah. who was an independent recruiter who has a really big following on LinkedIn. He is now part of the Hirewell team. And um, I see that as like a, as, as another example of somebody just like acquiring an influencer and bringing them in house. Nice. And that, yeah, <clears throat> really smart move. Um, you know what, this, this kind of leads me into, into my first testing idea. And I don't know if this is just a total nonsense or not. It could well be. At what point do you turn your internal TA team into another revenue source for the business? 
So, so if you were to get, so it may be not directly, not directly related to your idea, actually, maybe slightly different, but if you were to get an internal TA team that took the content approach and just created a disproportionate amount of demand for tech talent. So you're getting so much talent flowing through the pipeline that you literally can't hire everyone. Like you can't even hire 10% of them because there aren't enough space in your team. Okay. Why wouldn't that TA team then become like an external agency as well? Ah, okay. Like, could that work? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know. That's the idea. So you're getting a, a ridiculous amount of talent. Your business then says, you go to your CEO and you're like, hey, we're generating enough talent that we can probably kick off a few billion pound a year recruitment agency off the back of this. Why don't we spin up a, a new brand and the people that want to stay in-house can do it and we grow that venture out as well because we're creating so much talent demand. We've got the framework. We know how to create the demand and we've got loads of people flowing through. Like, why don't we just do that? So you would help. So you would have you would have such a pipeline built up that you can help the candidates that you're not going to hire find jobs at other companies. Yeah, or, or do do something else like go and I don't know, go and ask the business for money and create like an ed tech platform with the people that want to that you can't hire and they've got a passion for training people or something. Like, I don't know, but the, but yeah. the, the the basic idea is just like how could you in turn instead of because I think recruitment generally is seen as a, a cost, isn't it? Like regardless oh, yeah. of who comes out of this, you know what it's like when you're trying to convince TA to get some budget from anything. It's like, this is painful. Mm -hmm. There's moments where you'd rather walk on broken glass than ask your HR leader for cash. Yep. Um, but I don't know. I'm wondering whether there's a different way to do it. Um, there's a, um, uh, it's not that, okay. There's a sort of relatable example there's a guy um, in the U.S. who he he was I think he was maybe the head of talent for a um, for a trucking company. Mm. Um, they the trucking company was like uh, was really struggling I think financially. So his recruiting teams you know so they would recruit truck drivers. Um, his recruiting team was going to get cut and. He, found, he, he saw this opportunity to build a recruiting agency inside of the business to recruit drivers for other companies. So he just saw an opportunity because he didn't want his team to lose their jobs. And so he convinced yeah. the owner of the company that they could create like a recruit, really more like a recruitment marketing agency to help not, not just them, but other in their industry recruit. And uh, he spun up something like, really successful and was doing some like the coolest stuff in the in like in the trucking industry with video Amazing. and social distribution and stuff like that he was like i remember i connected with him a couple of years ago he was really thinking um progressively about like about how to do this that guy really really understands this stuff i like to use i, I use him as an example often about somebody just creative in in these like fringe industries but um it, it's smart yeah. it is smart uh, I always wondered about um, why VCs don't take that kind of model. So VCs have got this huge portfolio of investments, right? They've put a lot of money yeah. into startups, Series A, Series B rounds, whatever they're, whatever they're doing. I've often wondered why they don't just become, why the VC doesn't have the contracts with the, with the talent, with the engineers, 
And then basically the whole USP for working for one of the portfolio is that you can just literally switch roles every six to 12 months. Like you go and work at this company and then you can move around to another part of the portfolio. You're just constantly on this like circular career economy of just finding new experiences all over the world or remotely or wherever you want to be. Yeah. um, You know, I've talked to, I've talked to a handful of, um, you know, talent, talent teams within VCs, you know, who, who especially, you know, they'll, they're there to like help kind of train and and educate their early stage companies Mm -hmm. and founders about best practices for recruiting talent and things like that. But like, usually it's like, it's just on, they support on strategy, but then when it comes to execution, the company, the, the startups on its own, it does it. Yeah. Uh, which even honestly, man, even just hearing the advice that's being given to founders is like, it's bad. You know, it's like, it's, it's like the same recruiting practices. I mean, and if you, and if you think about it, it's like, it should be everything, but the industry standard industry advice. I mean, we're talking about like, and, and in the examples that I'm talking about, we're talking about like Silicon Valley, Bay, you know, Bay area startups with like little brand recognition, even if you were, even if you're backed by like a fancy VC still like no software engineers, like know who you are. You're all competing for like, honestly, candidates who are outside of your league. You know, you're like mm-hmm. maybe a series A or you've raised a large, large seed, but you're doing advanced shit. It's like, regardless of your stage, if you're building something very complex, you need to hire senior level data engineers or whatever. I mean, we're talking about people who've been in this industry for a really long time who are making a lot of money. And for them to take a shot at working with a really early stage company, it's like, it's super risky when they can go work for like big tech and be super set up for a really long time. And so like, if you look at like standard recruiting practices, those can't apply to an early stage startup. They have to get super creative because they are recruiting out, out of their league. All right. So would you, so you're, you're a a head of people, head of TA, TA manager at an early stage startup. Would you then almost create like, I'm not even sure it would be a marketplace, but would you go and get 10 other non-competing startup businesses Mm. all in different spaces and be like, look, we have to get together here. We're all, less than 100 or 250 people there's a really unique way of us attracting talent and making it easier for the whole network of companies and that is by creating this system where software engineers can come on the marketplace they join a business but they absolutely have the flexibility to move after 12 months with no interview no testing into any other company within that network that's a really how cool would that that be Okay, so that's a really uh, that's a really neat business idea because I, I I really think I've been like you know like outspoken about this and you know whatever that means on LinkedIn, but uh, I really do. Yeah, right. I've been outspoken. What the fuck does that mean? Yeah. I've, I've, like, yeah. I've shared a couple. I've shared a couple comments, but um, 
I, but, but I really do think that like the, the, we'll call it the, like the labor economy or whatever is moving in that direction where we're skilled workers want to work in a more like project-based format. Mm-hmm. I might've talked about it before, like on this, but um, we're, we're like, you come in, you're an engineer, you, you, you work on a very specific product you know, project, it might be based off of like a new feature release, or it might be building out like V1 or whatever it might be, but it's like, but it's confined and it's very clear what it is. And you have complete flexibility because it's not like you're tied to hours and all this kind of like traditional stuff. It's like you and a team are working on a project when that project is done, then either a new project starts or you move to another project that could be another company or whatever. But I mean, theoretically, if you're that person who's working as like a gig worker or a freelancer or whatever, you could work on multiple projects at one time. If you wanted to, you could do whatever you want. As long as you fulfill your piece of that project, um, you can make a lot of money because you're in high demand. You don't have to like quote work for the man. You don't have to like answer to anybody. Um, It's like, it's a really great way to like work. And also on the company side, think about the benefits. If you're a company, especially like an early stage company, working in that, like working in that kind of like model. So you get flexible workers, which means that it's cheaper because you don't have to provide them benefits. Um, Also, this is controversial, but fuck it. you don't have to deal with culture shit. As a founder, trust me, that is a really big benefit. Like not having to like deal with like company culture policies and protocols and things at a large scale is a really big benefit. It keeps you focused on the most important thing, which is building product and making money. Um, so there's two big benefits uh, from doing that. But the, here's the thing is I think that companies, early stage companies are thinking about this stuff because I know they are. I've heard, uh, I've heard some investors and I've heard some founders talking about it and I think it fits their model. But as you start working your way up and companies start getting larger and larger, they are not built for this kind of model. But I think the overall labor market is wanting that kind of model. And so I think like, as we get further along, um, there's gonna be this conflict between the way that people want to work and their ability to actually do it. And I think that earlier stage companies are gonna have a massive advantage because they're set up for this and larger companies just aren't gonna be able to do it. And they're gonna have like a really, they're gonna have a hard time hiring younger talent. Oh man, there's so much going through my head after that. Um... I, I think there's a bones of a really, really good idea in there somewhere. And I don't know what it is. Anyway, I, um, the, there, was, there was something else where your comment led me to when you talk about how big companies are structured versus the startups. I was like, big companies get huge amount of applications like google aren't struggling oh maybe they are actually i did actually read an article that said meta or facebook were really struggling to attract talent in the bay area 
mm. um, at the scale they needed. And so maybe, you know, that's a bit of a throwaway, throwaway statement. Maybe, maybe they are struggling. Um, but there's a lot of junior developers coming through who don't necessarily have the skills. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe there's like a launchpad scheme where companies can work alongside the likes of Meta and Google and Apple and take some of the developers that don't quite make the cut there because there will be a huge amount of people that don't quite make the cut but then you also focus on the people side right and then you're like well the people have got to say as well like you don't just discard them into a startup because they're not quite good enough for meta but could the carrot then be you do six months at the startup then you join meta or 12 months for the startup, then you join meta i don't know i don't i just I'm, I'm intrigued by that almost like the people kind of marketplace where there is no testing the testing is on the job and you and you are um are you performing i don't know this is also okay <laughs> all right this is gonna be yeah, this is one of those ideas where you could just where somebody outside can listen and just completely like dunk on it but uh so this is making me think of so you, so you have big big comp like big tech we're just gonna we're just gonna stay in tech if you're outside of tech just apply it to your industry be the smart one in the room. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so, so let's say you have big tech company that has like all the, all the perks, benefits, whatever, high salary, stock, all the, all the stuff, right? And that's like where everybody wants to go. It's like the major leagues, right? It's like uh, you just like want to go straight there, but like very few people can. And so that company has a series of like other companies underneath it or associated with it or in their network or whatever, you know? And it's, it's like you have, it's the ability to continually like uh, foster talent. So to bring talent in, to start training them up on the things that are going to be ultimately applicable at the top level, but aren't, a, but they just, these people don't have the skills today. And so, and it's a way for them to work their way up and have this clear path of progression. Everybody benefits from the talent. Everybody, like um, there's full transparency on like the way that the process works. It's like you come in, you work at like series A for a certain period of time, you learn these skills, whatever. And then from here, your path of progression, so long as you want to stay within the system is you move on to the, the next tier of companies, company, you know, whatever. And you learn a different skill set. And then by the time you get to the top level, which could be like two, three years down the road, whatever, you have like accelerated your growth much, much faster than you would if you were just stuck stagnate in like one model. Um, and you're like at the top tier. And like you basically like graduate into working for like the company that then you get rewarded with like the fucking outrageous salary and like all this kind of stuff that we say have we got the idea of a boot camp wrong like should a boot camp just be hands-on working within a business so right okay so we, yeah. we've got we're, like we're in this position where you've got loads of junior devs coming into the coding world right they've got no experience they are but they're found you know in like two three years you'd love to have them loads of potential why, why aren't we creating like that exactly that format that you just said? So you've got like 
in my head, I went straight to picturing like a mini league of four companies and the dev goes into company one for three months and they learn and they go into company and the company pays them. They go into company two for three months. They pick up new skills. They go into company three, three months, company four. And at the end of that 12 months, they just pick one of the companies that they want to join based on their experience. So the company gets hands-on support. It's almost like going back to, we don't, we do, I don't know what you call it in the States, but we do like work experience in, in the UK when you're in school and you're just going to like business for a couple of weeks when you're, when you're, yeah. um, when you're a kid and then I like send you to a retail shop, like go and pick your future career when you're 14, you end up in like a retailer for two weeks or something. Yeah, right. It's the worst fucking two weeks of your life. But anyway, they, um, sorry, 20 retailers out there. They, um, but yeah, that, that it's almost like, like that, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, but it's instead like, of going through the boot camp, they're actually doing it. Yeah, um, they're okay. They're, there's there's a lot of like structural things that we we can't get into or even think about right now. But but I think the thing that makes it work is the the transparency and the expectations. So everybody's clear on it. It's like you're not actually all competing for talent. What you're doing is you're fostering talent. And everybody knows from the talent to the company that like, why we're all in this, you know, we yes. are, that's what it, that's what it's about. And, uh, you know, and, and, and the, the person or the person who can actually make this happen is the one with all the clout and the one with all the clout is the biggest company. The one that is hoovering up all of the talent, right? So like if you're Netflix, for example, you, what you're doing is you are thinking about your future workforce, right? And yes. you go, right? And you go to, you know what you're going to need. Netflix knows damn well what they're going to need two years from now and all this kind of stuff. And they go and they look at like, all these tiers of companies underneath them who all do, who, who are all building products that require the skill sets that they're going to need. And you go to this whole series of companies and you put together this network and you go to them and you say, all right, basically we're going to take all of your people at some point anyway, but here's a model that benefits all of us. Do you know how many people who had the, who, who would be at the starting line wanting to get into that process to know that at the end of it, they get to work for Netflix. So long as they hit all of their marks and they pass whatever requirements they need to get to, you get to eventually go to work for Netflix. Netflix never has to worry about recruiting. And at the same time, you've helped all these other companies who really, really struggle to get people who are motivated, you know, who who have like the, the skill sets and the drive and all this kind of stuff, you're really struggling to get those people too because you're all competing with each other. I think it's I, brilliant. I, I think it's brilliant. And, the, and this, this then comes back to this thing is you're not competing against other companies. You're actually helping each other to grow rather yeah. than, because we're in this world, aren't we, where, where people are like, there isn't enough talent to go around. And there is, like we know tech is growing and, there is a talent shortage and I know, and people I, to fill jobs. But for most companies, that statement isn't true, is it? 
it's not. There is enough talent to go around. You recently hired a software engineer. How many people are in your business? Yeah, I mean, it's true. There's, no, it's a, but it's true. Though. Why did he? Why did he pick you? He could have gone to other places, right? He could have gone to a hundred, yeah, 50, 200, yeah. 300 people startup. And we you. did, a, yeah. I mean, we did it with a product manager too, who's she's incredible, and uh, it's, I, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, that that's actually, gosh, that's a that's a good topic for, for another show. Is like, why are why are companies really struggling? to recruit and like, I don't know. I mean, I think it's like, they're trying to fit candidates into this little box. If they don't fit, then, then they're not, you know, then they're not a good they, fit, but anyway. They, um, it, it, the lack of innovations flowing because teams are still in this reactive state and they're doing everything they can, everything they know to make high as quickly as possible. Yeah. Ultimately. And so, um, and so the, these, like, we'll, we'll wrap up shortly because I dare say we're, we're pretty close to, to time. I'm not sure how long we've been, um, we've been talking yeah. about this. I have but, one more too, one more idea. But. All right, let, let's, um, let's sneak this one in. But I, I really want to hit on this point. Like all these ideas just came mainly. I mean, there was one or two to kick off, but the rest of it just flowed from one idea, right? Yeah, I, I actually, for, you know, what's funny is I forgot we were even recording this. Yeah, no, it's funny. It's just funny. Yeah, exactly. It's just funny when what happens when you sit down and you think, actually, how else can we approach this rather than just saying, we're struggling with talent, let's get another job board. We're struggling with talent, let's get another LinkedIn recruiter seat. Let's hire another recruiter. Like, it's just mad what happens when you actually start to think about different yeah. ways to approach things. But go on, what's your last one? No, no, yeah, yeah I, I want to like, I want to stop for a second and acknowledge that because... I really meant that when I, I don't care if somebody listens to this and they, they, they listen the last 20 minutes and they're just like, that was the stupidest shit. Like I've ever heard, like that would never work, whatever. It's like, don't focus on the, on the, on the idea. Just pay attention to how the ideas came about and all they, and, and how it happened was you and I got on a call. We started jamming on some stuff we have going on in our head. And then each of us like picked up pieces of it and just like built off of it. And next thing we know, we got to like this whole other place. And I just, I want people to do that. It's like, if there are new ways of doing things should be fun and inspiring and it should get people thinking creatively and you, we should be excited for that. And, and if you're like, if you're just like on your own, sitting on an island, you have ideas, but you don't have anybody to share them with, whatever. Dude, you and I connected two plus years ago on LinkedIn. That's it. That's, that's how we know each other. Um, like find a person and just like do this with them. Yeah, no, you're right. I, um, dude, I can't get this idea out of my head. Just very quickly, if I'm... <laughs> if I, <laughs> If I if I'm the head of talent at a startup and I'm within a VC network, I'm calling that VC tomorrow and I'm saying I'm going to create a talent marketplace in all of your portfolio. Because if they if they are losing within their VC network of investments, if they are losing talent today, when things are so hard to attract, allegedly, and I put my fingers up there for the proverbial speech marks, if they're losing talent today to companies outside of the network, then that is just 
criminal, isn't it? Yes. It's criminal. And, and so, they they, well, they are. It's happening daily, isn't it? So um, did you have any more ideas on this? I did. I did. It, it's, it, but it, this is something that we've done at, at our own company. Um, we uh, never, or, we've made this policy at our own company that we're never going to uh, hire. Well, we might not ever hire anybody in sales to begin with. Um, mm. We, but uh, never, never hire anybody to do outbound sales. Mm -hmm. um, we, we've had this policy of like no outbound. And when you, when you say no outbound or you eliminate outbound from the conversation, it forces you, you have no other option, but to think very creatively how you're going to generate business. Because the easiest thing to do is when you're like, oh, I got to generate new business. New business can mean candidates. It can mean customers, whatever. The first place you go, because it's the easiest, is build a list, send them emails. But if you cannot do that, you have to start thinking about other kinds, other things. And, and so Jackson and I did that like two years ago. We made this, I posted a video about it like a couple of years ago, I think. But um, this no, but we've taken it even further with our product and have gone like, I don't even think we need salespeople to begin with. I think it could be all brand marketing and account management, which is a very different thing. And I, and I thought about that as it applies to recruiting. Um, and like, what if, what, what if you eliminated outbound and as your prompt and your recruiters were, your, your recruiters were seriously like brand marketers and like account managers, basically like a, it's, it's just like a different, it's a different way to think about it, but I'm eating my own dog food because we do this at our own company. So I'm not just talking out of my ass. We've actually done it. And, uh, what, when, okay. When you say, when you say to a recruiter, okay, there's a new rule in town. You can no longer go out around. You can no yeah. longer send cold messages. Um, that's almost an interesting test. Like as a team, just to sit in a one of the glass cubicles or on Zoom now and and just get the ideas flowing and just be like, if we can't go outbound tomorrow, if suddenly the world takes the GDPR approach or privacy becomes like intense all over the world and you can no longer actually reach out to people, what would our recruitment model look like? I think is a really good starting point for teams to say, okay, we could try this, we could try this, we could try this. Yeah. And everyone you, just picks up one. You just start coming up with ideas. Yeah. Um, and I guarantee you, you'll go, whoa, those are good. Like, those are great ideas. We should start doing some of that. It's just a forcing function because you're eliminating the easiest option. Yeah, totally agree. I um, just very quickly before we wrap up, yeah. you, you leave a couple of thoughts as well, Nate, but. I was chatting to um, to Tom today at Pinpoint, uh, which is a, a really cool ATS platform. Um, this post is not sponsored by Pinpoint. Make <laughs> a post. It's a podcast. Fucking hell! I uh, it's late over here. You can cut me some slack. I, I we were saying that that most recruitment at the moment is a failing system. It's failing. Like it's not. It's not effective. 
throw in more recruitment, more recruiters that are failing. Um, a failing process is just basically scaling a failing process, which is what's happening all over the world at the moment. Um, and <clears throat> TA leaders will come back and they'll go, oh yeah, but we're fitting, we're filling our quota. Every recruiter's hitting the metric of two to four tech hires a month, which is the argument, right? They come back and they say, we're hitting our, our metrics. And those metrics are the same metrics that are built on the failing systems of going cold outbound and basically a recruiter being responsible for three tech hires a month and having... 160 hours a month to get three three hires over the line which for me just is not an effective output at all um anyway we were talking about <clears throat> diminishing returns when you reach out to so many candidates so the system's failing you then say we're not getting enough interest from candidates what are we going to do and the default is how can we automate more messages how can we mm. hit more people how can we like build on top of this failing system to make it even fucking worse than ever before and the answer is you do more of the shit that got you in this position um which makes no sense at all so um then we were chatting about how candidates feel like if you're a really um a really well thought of consumer brand as a recruiter and you're smashing candidates with this cold outbound approach. How do they feel when that land? There's, there's some of the magic in their mind about Disney or Lego or insert sexy brand here. When they get a cold message from a recruiter, does some of that magic die in their minds for that brand? Does it kind of disappear a little bit? Could it have a negative brand effect? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, one example on, on top of that. And then, and, and then I promise we'll cut it. Um, I just yesterday saw this post from a sales rep, um, who said th that she was sending, she started sending, uh, videos, outbound videos, I think in LinkedIn DMs and, uh, wanted, she sent 10 of them wasn't getting any responses and was hoping that she, that LinkedIn had a function where she could just go in and cancel all of them. But then she booked, uh, I think three, three meetings and said like, I'm so glad that LinkedIn doesn't have that function. This actually works. I, I think so. So she got like a three, three out of 10 response rate. She also put in that post that like the first three people she reached out to immediately like blocked her or unfollowed her or something. Right. Like they were pissed that she reached mm -hmm. out to them, but in the end she ended up getting three meetings out of like, 10 messages. And I read that and I was like, that's where we, that's where we're at. That's where we're at with sales. And that's where we're at with recruiting is like, yeah. we get a result and it suddenly makes the motion acceptable. It's not the fact that like you've seriously pissed off three people. Um, you know, and then you have salespeople chiming in. It's like, you know, like, you're not going to please everybody or whatever. And it's like, it's that fucking mentality of like, you're not going to please everybody. Sure. Of course you're not. But what is the, what is the effect or, uh, or the consequences of pissing off more people <laughs> than you, than you actually satisfy, which is what's happening. It's like, if you get three, three out of a hundred and call that a success, which a lot of people are, that doesn't make the 97 okay. And like, like the, the, and, and companies themselves are to blame for this because they're the ones who think that this behavior is okay. 
And, and it's like crazy to me that they're like, that they're not seeing the fact that like every time somebody is met with a message that either is like obviously not meant for them, that is poorly timed, that is poorly written, that is like whatever, that that, that person on the receiving end, their perception of your company is going down and going down and going down. And it's like, th- that matters more to me. Um, anyway. But, you, but you're right. Like that point there is these people are, they're getting results. And it's exactly the same for recruiters. They're making their two or three tech hires a month. And so they're perceived to be hitting the, the metrics. And, and recruiters and salespeople are both being um, evaluated on activity. It's like, okay. did you make your calls today? It's like, they're actually incentivized to do this. And it's almost like this, there's this mentality in sales that it's like, if you haven't pissed enough people off today, well, then you didn't do your job today. It's like, are That we- thing that you said there, Nate, that, that thing that you said there is some people will be pissed off. You're not going to please everyone. What a shit mentality. What a selfish I- way to think. I mean, it's, it's overlooking the value of, of like brand sentiment and like just like perception. It's like in the end and, and, and trust. And in the end, it's the one thing that everybody wants, but very few are willing to do the activities that create that. It's just like, there's, there's such a misalignment. How does... How does the software engineer feel getting his LinkedIn inbox smashed and his email inbox smashed and his data ripped out of every platform he exists on to then have to waste his time spending it responding to recruiters that have given no value whatsoever? I'll tell you another thing too, is that that isn't helping. (laughs) It's not helping... uh, engineers because now where engineers and other like really high demand candidates are in they're in a place where they're where their egos are so high because everybody wants to hire them and they're just like i never have to look for another job again ever everybody wants me i can just sit back and i can like their candidate behavior and mentality is off too because they're just getting flooded. They're everybody's saying, I want you to come work for me. I want you to come work for me and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, it's creating really bad incentives on the candidate side too. Yeah. Do you know what? More than ever, we'll wrap this up, Nate, because we're going to, I've got a feeling this could be like part one of eight if we carry on. Like more than ever after this call, you realize that we are recruitment as a function, as a team you're not in the business of making of making hires. You're genuinely in the business of creating positive emotion, aren't you? Throughout that process, mm-hmm. you're in the business of creating emotion and how you make people feel and whether you get them to take that next step along the process. And there's so little thought to that, isn't there? Yeah. But anyway. Good, good way to end it. Next. It is a good way. I, um, I want to jam on referrals next week because I think they are massively underused. Let's cover that next week. Until then, Nate, good to chat. All right, brother. Good to see you.